0: We have been, for three or four, three weeks I think, I've been in the Gospel of John. A new series we've started, and um, today we were, were going to go to John chapter two, where Jesus turns the water into wine. And it specifically says and reveals his glory. So I have a whole sermon prepared for that. And then Tuesday, or Thursday night, I'm teaching a class on the second coming of Christ, right in this room. And we walked through a passage there that, that um, after the class, I taught the class Thursday night, and some of you were there. I am, that night and all the next day and into the next night, couldn't sleep, which is normal for me. Um, And something out of that passage wouldn't let me go. So yesterday morning, I woke up and I contacted Daryl and Elena and said, I'm going to, Change my message. So, so this is a one day preparation message. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. So open your Bibles, please. There will be some slides. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And when something grabs you like this, you, you can't ignore it. And, and I couldn't. So I thought, well, I'll do it next week. I said, no, I don't want to do it next week. I want to do it this week. So here we are. So, Father, guide me in your word and have your spirit teach us. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Second Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians are two of Paul's earliest letters. And the theme of both of them is the second coming of Christ. Today's message isn't so much about the second coming of Christ, that's Thursday night at seven o'clock. Come visit. But there's some things he mentions in light of that second coming that really grabbed me Thursday that we're going to talk about today. The Thessalonians are being fiercely persecuted for their new faith in Jesus. You can go to Acts chapter 16 and read that story. And Paul was chased out of town, but they held on to their faith in spite of the persecutions. They're standing firm. So Paul encourages them in this letter and gives them hope that Jesus will return and bring deliverance for them, deliverance from their persecutions or being persecuted, and he'll bring vengeance, justice to the persecutors. Does that make sense? That's the context of the passage we're in. Again, we're not going to talk so much about that. I'm going to read it to you. But what he says at the beginning and end of that, that relates to anybody, no matter whether they're being persecuted or not. I firmly believe that Paul, at this time, early in his ministry, like I said, this is one of his first letters, he firmly believed Jesus would come back in his lifetime. And in every generation should hope for the second coming of Christ in their lifetime. But in the midst of that, I want to read to you what Paul is saying to them. So chapter 1, we're just going to drop in at verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That is, the, the, the enemies are persecuting them. This is judgment of the righteous. Ju- this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. So, stop there for a moment. He's going to mention this idea of worthy twice. The, this idea of so that you would be considered worthy. You're, you're suffering. You're being persecuted so you can be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. And this is kind of a foreign concept to us today in our Christianity. I really, I really believe we don't give much thought to this. That, that God is working something in us to bring a worthiness to us. And, and what we tend to say in our gospel, and, and, this, and this gospel is true, so don't, don't think I'm, I'm changing my gospel. The gospel is, is the simple, simplicity of the gospel is this that we were dead in our sins, right? We could not solve our sin problem. So God became human. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created all things, but chapter one, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We'll talk about that next week again. But in that, he became human, why? To save us from our sins. So, so it is a gift he gives to us. It's by grace. We didn't earn it. I don't have to sustain it, in the sense of, of I, need to, I need to keep doing right so God doesn't take it away from me, thus earning it. But there's something all themed throughout the teachings of scripture, of New Testament, of because what God has given me, what he has gifted me, I need to live a life Worthy of that gift. This isn't earning it. This isn't works righteousness. This is, not, this is not legalism. This is the fact that God has blessed you. He's made you alive in the spirit. He has made you his child. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's taken you out of slavery to sin and allowed you, not allowed you, but equipped you to rise above that sinful life you used to live. And he said, this is the new life I've given you. Now live like it. And he uses the term live worthy. The persecutions are coming in to these people's lives. And I believe this. I believe Jesus uses an imagery that we'll eventually get to in John that we are in the Father's hands and no one can take us out of the Father's hands. Okay, you get that? So I use that imagery to to kind of expand it a bit. I I think it's biblical. If I'm in the Father's hands, everything that comes into my life all the struggles and hard times, the people who are against me, is all filtered through the Father's fingers. He doesn't allow something to come into my life that isn't for a purpose. So remember that in your life, whenever the hard times come, that you're in God's hands and there's a purpose to what he allows into your life. There's only one day at prepare, preparation. I just forgot what I was saying. So let, let me get back to scripture. That's always the good answer. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Listen to what Jesus says about worthiness. Whoever does not take his, up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's Matthew ten thirty eight. Jesus speaks of a worthiness. Paul in Ephesians 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, Ephesians 4, 1, I the prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So you've been called as a child of God. Live like it, is what Paul's saying. 1 Thessalonians 2, 12, the book before our book, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is just a few of the ones I found yesterday of talking about us living worthy. So here, we're gonna come back to this in a minute. This is how it opens and this is how the passage closes. But here's what I want to, how I wanna package it in what we've been talking about uh, through the whole book of Romans when we did that and our new purpose statement. In our new purpose statement, it talks about that we wanna discover who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and then to grow into Christ-likeness and then to engage a broken world with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, growing into Christ-likeness, the second step of our purpose statement was what I believe God is talking about right here in different terminology. When he says that this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, this persecution in your life, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. See, God is creating a worthiness in you. He's bringing the character of Christ and working it in you each and every day as he has you in his hand and what he allows to come through his fingers to bring some challenges to your life to bring some pain to your life to bring some uncertainty to your life you guys agree we i've said this before we, we don't tend to grow into christ like this when everything's wonderful do we we need a little struggle in life in order to grasp okay god what are you doing who am i who are you and what's going on here So God is working Christ-likeness into you. He's working the worthiness of his son into your character. And the persecution these guys were going through was that way. So this makes sense. Do do, do I sound like I'm saying works righteousness or earn your salvation? Does it sound like legalism? Better do this or you're a bad person. So those things, because those things are not true, we tend to throw out all ideas of living a worthy life as some form of legalism. It's not. It's what you've been born again to do. Okay, so that's how we're starting this. Now now we're going to look at 6 through 10 with me. I'm going to walk through these a little quicker. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So this is a sobering passage. We talked about this past Thursday night. This is the this is description of the day of the Lord the Bible talks about. The day of the Lord is when God will come to rescue his people and to bring judgment on those who are in rebellion against him. So it's talked about all through the Old Testament into the New. So Verse nine again, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Look at verse 10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Stop and look at that again. Look up on the screen or look in your Bibles. To be marveled at. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at by all who have believed. Have you believed? Four of you. What does it mean to ask, ask, okay, I'll ask again. Do you believe? Yes. Well, are you marveling? Are you ready to marvel at seeing Jesus? Yes. Now, Now, and I ask that question because this kind of threw me personally. Do I marvel at him now? Yes. Less voices rising up there, did you hear that? I, I sometimes wonder if, if we have become numb to that which is marvelous. You know, I, I, remember one time, I, I remember one time a gentleman in our church, Eric, was, was teaching at a conference. I watched it online, and he had everyone pull out their cell phones, pull out their cell phones, and, and there was 2,000 people in the room, and they all pulled out their cell phones. And he said, over 3 billion people have cell phones, and they're connected all over the world. And he goes, and we're hardly impressed. So if you're my generation or older, you remember when there was no way to do that, absolutely no way to do that. And now we're hardly impressed that I can talk to someone in Zimbabwe and not even pay long-distance phone calls. So what do we marvel at today? What have you marveled at in your life or even recently? I know a couple things in me. In my life, in 19, September 13th, 1980, I was 21 years old, my first son was born, and I was right in the room. That was marvelous. That was an event I'll never forget. And so, but I have to go back 41 years for that example. Can you believe I have a 41 year old son? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Two summers ago, Teresa and I with some friends, guys named Darren and Jessica, high school friend of Teresa, we climbed a, a Cloud's Rest in Yosemite. 13 mile hike round trip, 4,000 foot elevation change. And this is the view we saw. This is a picture I took with my phone. Not that one, that one. Is that marvelous? That is spectacular. I sat there, the hike up was brutal. I sat there for a couple hours, ate my lunch, and just could not stop marveling at God's creation. So God designed the human body and for a lady to have a baby. And my son is born because of the way he designed it, and I marveled. I sat there and marveled at God's creation. That I could sit up there where very few people in the world get to sit and just marvel. There's a day coming when Christ will return. And it says that he will be glorified in his saints, that's us, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. So so have you heard the teaching, or or maybe you think this way, and this is a good thing, I'm not not criticizing this, that, um, well, when I go to heaven, I'll get to see Aunt Sally. I don't have an Aunt Sally. I'll get to see my mom. Okay? How many of you think that way? Reunited with the ones you love. I, I don't want to ever... Um, discourage that thinking. But I find very little scripture that supports that. No, not, not, that we, not that we're not going to be reunited, I, I'm, I'm certain we are, but scripture really doesn't talk about it. Do you know what it talks about when we get there? You're going to marvel at seeing Jesus Christ, it's going to be overwhelming that's the first thing that should grab us when we think about whether it's dying and going to be with the Lord, as Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord, or if we're alive when he returns, and we get to be part of that whole event, that I'll glorify him and marvel at his person. After this message, which is going to be a short one, it turns out, um, we're going to sing What a Wonderful Name. Because what does it say there? Marvel to be marveled at among all who have believed. We'll get to the minute about glorifying his name. So, now, I want you to notice two things in the next verse, verse 11, that Paul prays for these believers and for you and me. Verse 11, And to this end we always pray for you, that our God, here's the first thing, may make you worthy of his calling. So first it was consider you worthy, Now he's going to make you worthy. And that's the idea of bringing Christ-likeness into your life. And two, that our God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. This is the passage that grabbed me. Thursday night and that I couldn't sleep for the next two nights as I thought about this. So, So first of all, we already talked about God considering you worthy here, making you worthy. It's his work. It's his work that you are actively involved in. We are, the Christian life is not a passive life. Would you agree with that? It's not let go and let God. It's actively engaging who he made me to be through the power of his spirit to do his will on this earth each and every day. So that's the process by which God is making me worthy of his calling. But here it also Paul prays that God would fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by his power. I'm gonna read the NIV on this one, that's the ESV. It's not in the screen, so just listen. And that by his power, he, that is God, may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. This is the one that got me, the ESV's terminology, fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. I don't think that's two things, I think it's one thing. That's why I read the NIV to you. Every resolve for good, every work of faith. Do you have in your heart, in your mind, something that God is calling you to do? A resolve to do something good for him? A commitment to a good work that you believe God's laid on your heart? Is there something in you that God keeps leading me to this? I keep feeling like God is, telling me to go do this, or go minister there, or start this ministry, or something like that. Do you have that conviction? I'm learning, okay, I'll back up. Sometimes if you know me, you know I can get sometimes critical about how we we do church and how we preach the gospel, and have we simplified it too much. I wonder, so I'll put it this way, I wonder, have we simplified our gospel to be something God does for you as opposed to something God does through you. Now I'm not denying God does things for us, amen? Amen. Everything from forgiveness to regeneration to the spirit of God in me and practical things like I get to live here. Thank you, God. But sometimes have we reduced our faith down and our prayer life down, okay God, thank you, more. I challenge you to read through Paul's prayers. There's a whole book on it called Spiritual Reformation, Prayers of Paul, written by Donald Carson. Paul never once mentions, pray for a better job, pray my cold goes away. He he doesn't pray for these things. He prays for your spiritual vitality, he prays for your spiritual growth. He prays that you would know God more and more and you would step into his will. So here Paul is praying that he may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So this is what grabbed me the other day because I get paid to do this. This isn't some wonderful thing. Oh, isn't Pastor Tony wonderful for giving his life to preaching? You guys pay me pretty good. So, so what if you stopped paying me? What would I do for the Lord? What resolve of goodness, what resolve to do a good work is in my heart that if God's not in it, it's gonna fail? That's what I wanna push you today and push me to. Has God been whispering to you, maybe speaking loudly, for you to step into some form of ministry that may absorb your time, your energy, some money? And you're saying, oh God, I can't do that. I'm not equipped to do that. How about get this thought in your head? What is it that you have a passion to do that if God's not in it, it will fall flat on its face and fail. But if he is in it, it will happen and he'll get the glory. And if you don't have a vision like that, ask him for one. Because that's what Paul's to me, that's what Paul's saying. See, this, by the way, these people are being persecuted. And think of everything that goes with that. Think of all the things that go with that. Persecution, you're losing your friends, you're losing your family, you might be losing your job, you're losing your status in the community. All these things that we'd say, this is horrible, God, why are you doing this? And Paul is saying, hey, I'm praying for you that God will fulfill every resolve for good and every good work you plan on doing. Paul's not saying, hey, because of the persecution, you can just back off living the Christian life and ministering to people. Oh, you poor person, you. He doesn't do that. Paul doesn't do pity parties well for himself or for others. He's saying in the midst of your persecution, midst of your persecution, I hope you understand that God is making you worthy by this and that God is going to accomplish that resolve you have for all goodness and every good work. In First Thessalonians, he mentions something similar. 1 Thessalonians chapter one, verse three, Paul, in his prayer for the Thessalonians, he says, I'm remembering you before our God and Father for your work of faith, look at this, work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. This is Paul's favorite three words, faith, love, and hope. But notice the words that go with it, the work of faith. Faith is not alone, faith comes with activity, the work of faith, a labor of love. Well, love should be easy. The labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Because sometimes hope gets knocked out and da- knocked out and down to where we need to be steadfast. I don't know. Our world has gone nuts in my mind. And I don't think it's going to all of a sudden get better. So are we going to say, you know what? I'm going to lament the fact that the world is... Cray-cray. That's that's better than going to hell. Thank you. Cray-cray. And and wish for the old days. Or are we going to say, God, I don't know what you're doing but I'm going to step into this power of yours and, and I'm going to resolve to do the good you've put on my heart no matter what happens and watch what you do through your power. We are third part of our purpose statement, engage a broken world with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to encourage you and me, what resolve for good things that God can do through us do we have? What resolve? What a great word, resolve. What good deed do you want to see God accomplish through you that if he's not in it, it will fail? Take those to him in prayer. Verse 12, so that, the end result of this, so that, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. So we have this concept, oh God, be glorified. Jesus, be glorified. But let's make it very personal. God, be glorified in me today. In my attitudes, in the words that come out of my mouth, in what I do with my hands to help other people. Be glorified in me today. But look what that says there. In the name of our Lord, Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. We'll get to that one next week because the whole sermon next week is on about the glory of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Both he is glorified in me, what I do, and somehow I'm glorified in him. It's one of those things I'm not sure what all that means, but let's step into that next week. And that is all according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in me? The name. Why doesn't it say that Jesus be glorified in me? Why the name of the Lord Jesus? Why that terminology? Because we're gonna sing that song here in a moment. What a beautiful name. I learned this a long time ago from my pastor in Reno, Dan Frank. He said the definition of name, think of your name. Your name represents your works, let me me get it right here, your character, your works, and your reputation. So when someone hears Edie, sorry Edie, you're sitting here. We We think, oh, her character, her works, her reputation. That's what people think when they hear your name. What are they thinking? So, If Christ is glorified in me, the name of Christ is glorified in me, the character of Jesus Christ, the works of Jesus Christ, and the reputation of Christ should reflect, be reflected in my lifestyle. That when people see me, they bring glory because they understand the character of Jesus, the works of Jesus, and the reputation of Jesus, and it's reflected in my life. So we, we're going to sing this song. The team wants to come back up. Is it called What a Beautiful Name? Yes. And I want you to think about that. In this verse here. All these things Paul is saying, in the midst of these persecutions, that you live a life that's worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling you've had, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you the character, works, and reputation of our Savior. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for convicting me. Show me, Lord, what that is, that next step, that if you're not in it, it will fail, and to trust you for it, to step out, not to listen to the naysayers. Um, Put some deep burden on each of our hearts, Lord, that we can't shake, and help us to step into it as we put our hands to that plow you call us to, Lord, we'll walk how you, watch how you work. And Lord, on that day when Christ returns and we'll marvel at who he is, help us today, Lord, to take the, whatever partial blinders we might have on to see in his glory and how marvelous he is right now. And so I, I pray, Lord, this song and your words from Scripture will drive us to that end. His name.